Hi, everyone, and welcome to the No Bullshit Guide to Whatever with our series on career development. I'm Bill Chapman. And I'm Kristen Luciano. We are here to cut through the bullshit and to tell you the reality of all things with career development. Last week, we spoke with Amanda Healy on personal branding. This week, we're going to talk about advocating yourself and executing your personal brand with one of our good friends of the podcast. And we welcome back today, Bill Connolly. Bill, thank you for coming back on here to talk with us about this. Yeah, thank you both for having me. I'm excited to, to be here. Awesome. So let's get right into it. And my first question for you is, tell us about your personal brand and how you have evolved it over time. Sure. So I I have to be honest, I thought I think I thought a little bit more about my personal brand um when I was a bit younger and I and I don't know if that's a function of needing to crystallize the 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 value that I would potentially bring uh, versus, you know, as you do more and you build more of a resume and I think build more of a network too, those things start to naturally happen and it's more about filtering which opportunities and which things you want to pursue versus trying to find ways to, um, to get, you know, to, to get in front of those opportunities. Um, my personal brand, I think is that I like to be a connector of ideas and stories and people. And I started my career as a marketing generalist and I was doing a lot of more technically integrated work doing like, um, CRM management and, and marketing automation and things of that nature. And naturally, I just sort of gravitated a little bit more to, I think, the brand, um, connecting the brand side of, of things to uh, to the more operational side. And that has really, I think, opened up a lot of different opportunities for me, both inside and outside of my work life. And, you know, so I guess my roundabout way of answering your question is, is saying I've, my personal brand is that I pursue, uh, things that interest me and I try to find ways to use them to help other people in their careers. And so I've written three books, uh, I've self-published them. They've, they've largely been about topics, things that were bothering me in my career. And each one of them has had a, a little bit of a of value in terms of helping me take the next step in my career. And I think that, you know, as I've, as I've grown and, and, and worked my way more into leadership positions and done more kind of consulting and speaking and that sort of thing, I've naturally gravitated towards the areas of psychology that help uh, people kind of live their best lives. And that is true both inside of the workplace and, and outside of the workplace. So that's a, that's a long-winded answer and probably convoluted and doesn't actually answer the question, but that's how I think about my, my personal brand is that I, I pursue the, the things that I think are important um, to me that, that, that are important to other people and that maybe we don't talk enough about. And I think I agree with like from what you like alluded to um, from the books that you've written and what you have done, you would, would you say it'd be fair to say that you would allude it to self-actualization back to Abraham Maslow's, um, you know, hierarchy of human needs. Would that be fair to say? Uh, I, yeah, I, I think so to, to a degree. I actually take some exception to Maslow's hierarchy. I write a, a whole chapter in my last book is about, um, 
the idea of self-actualization being at the top of that pyramid, I think is sort of misleading. Um, I think that people have an innate desire to be creative. They have an innate desire to connect to others. And certainly when initial um, needs, the, the, the base level needs of sustenance and shelter and safety, when those aren't met, it, it's, it's, it makes it that you can't really focus your time and energy on things like self-actualization. But it doesn't mean that stressors aren't created from your lack of ability to do so. And I think that, you know, what's kind of become the norm in our society of grind culture and work, 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 and, you know, always looking at other people who have achieved and feeling like you're lesser, less than and not where you should be, is that it has, I think, um, it's, it's, it's constrained the ability to self-actualize and to, and to, and to celebrate that journey of growth and and understanding what your unique value is and how you're applying it. You know, it makes everyone feel like they have to get to self-actualization right away or that they're, you're less than or worthless. And, and I think that that's something that's been sort of dangerous in our, in our work culture and our broader society. Do you think that your personal brand changes depending on the context of the situation? And by that, I mean, I feel like I'm, it's almost like imposter syndrome, but I feel like I am, I have a personal brand when I'm in the workplace versus when I'm volunteering versus when I'm just around my friends um, and, or network in a networking situation. Um, And sometimes it's hard to figure out what, what personal brand I really want to have versus what I think is the best one to be perceived by. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think that people feel the most complete, the most, um, you know, the, the most on track when they're able to sync their various uh, personas and their various uh, brands in the same under the same umbrella or kind of in the same way. And you know that that's like as much as I I say this stuff, but I am constantly judging myself and upset at myself that I'm not further in various ways and it's more successful as an author and as a comedian and all the other things that I, that I do. Um, but when I, when I back out from that and I, and I think really clearly about the right way to build a career, I think that, you know, I, I'm pretty close to who I am at the workplace as who I am with my friends, as who I am with, um, when I'm speaking and talking more about the books and the, the, the other pieces that are outside of my quote day job, I'm pretty close to the same person in all those places. And to the extent that I can infuse the pieces of, of each of those pursuits that can benefit the other ones, I think that really helps to, um, you know, to feel like you're building a robust brand from a personal perspective. Um, it, what, what gets really tough, I think, is when people are trying to balance all of those things and they're really different and and they're not integrating them in a meaningful way. Because ultimately... Whether you're in sales, whether you're in marketing, as you know, we all are, whether you're an engineer, you, you're working with other people, you're selling or buying from other people, the people you or you're engaging with people at the workplace every single day or customers. And so the more you can understand yourself and bring yourself to those pursuits, I think that the better off you'll be. You know, it's interesting. I think that there's been a shift in the culture um, of accepting your of accepting personal brands and I remember going into my career, coming straight out of college, even before even being in college, where uh, my mom, she's, you know, higher up or was higher up in 
an executive position and she's used to a very traditional culture where you had to be or it was expected to be a certain type of persona within the workplace. Um, and in that persona may not have been mapped to what your actual personality in real life was. And I feel like I started off my career pretending to be something I wasn't. And it felt like it was just exhausting pretending to be something that wasn't my true self. And then as I got later in my career and started letting myself be myself in the workplace, not only did I feel more authentic, but I felt like I was gaining more respect for being myself. And I think it was also becoming more culturally accepted that people could be themselves regardless of how extreme that personality might be, obviously within reason. But I think having that um, unique personality that is you as opposed to trying to fit in is part of that personal brand that works now. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that the more we we break down the barriers between work, work and life anyway, I mean, we all work, there's no there's no separation of work and life anymore. And we all, we're all, especially now during a pandemic, we're stuck at home. There may be some hybrid work models that come up. I've, I've personally worked remote for the past six years, full time. I haven't been in an office in a regular way. And, it's hard for me to disassociate my personality at work and, and elsewhere. And, and in, in some ways, like I'm super neurotic. I'm sure I, I'm like, you know, share too much or <laughs> I'm uh, annoying to people at times. But I think that the, the benefits of, of being my full self in, in the work setting are, uh, they outweigh that because, you know, I, I'm, I, I think it helps when you're, when you connect to people on an emotional level and on a personal level, uh, you're able to, I think, deliver difficult news. I think you're able to empathize with them. I think you're able to strategize with them. And, you know, when, when there is a, a veneer veneer that's like put on top of your personal brand that here it's work, Kristen versus, you know, friend Kristen or, you know, podcasting Kristen, then it's, it, it creates more work for yourself to figure out who you should be in those, in those places. And so I do think it's evolved. I do think it's changed in, in what's acceptable in, in the workplace. I mean, just look at all the commercials that are happening now, like dogs barking and kids are in the background. And it's like, what are you going to do about it? We're all stuck at home. You know, those of us who live in cities live in tiny apartments. And like, if you have kids, you can't hide them in the closet while you're on a work call. You know, like our full self is being mandated into the office. So if that's going to happen. Then what other good could maybe we draw from that long term? You know, and I think that there's some there is some good that can come from that. I actually think it's created a ton of trust um, having that kind of transparency, I think, um, especially to your point, okay, going into this COVID era and everyone has to be more open because they don't have a choice. You know, like you said, you got your dogs barking and kids running around and you're sharing a space with your wife or your significant other. You, you have to um, expose that personal side, which actually creates trust because you're learning about that person to a degree that you normally wouldn't. I feel like that's actually helped me a ton in my career in the last six months. Um, now I have a relationship with my partners in a way that I never would have had before. And I now can have those candid conversations, good or bad, um, that I never would have been able to have or have as easily as I can now. A lot of empathy definitely is involved, especially when there are coworkers that we have been involved with a lot more that are, uh, you know, having their kids at home to be schooled at home now virtually. 
and things in their schedules get tough and then you get to see how they are kind of who they are at home versus at the at the office and we all kind of see ourselves now just in our homes rather than in the office and we just say okay this is this is us and we're adapting to that and we're basically having a lot more empathy for everybody in their own situation and for who they are so that you know we're just we're just being who we are in the in our virtual workspace, and I feel that that has been a positive thing yeah, for everybody. I agree. I, I think it, I think you know something I think about a lot is I just think that everyone's kind of various levels of messed up, and we're all just trying to do our best to to get through and to do well. And if you acknowledge that simple fact, then it makes it a lot easier to connect with with people. You know, during the the pandemic, I've made so many professional relationships in my role at work. Just by reaching out to people and asking how they're doing or saying, you know, complimenting them on a project or something that, that I saw that they were working on. And it's turned into opportunity, you know, maybe not to, to sell, but to collaborate or, you know, to, to partner on, on something. And that, that's how I've, I think I've worked, um, you know, throughout my, my career, whether it's in writing books. I mean, all the people I've gotten to write to, to let me interview them for my books or that have endorsed my books or hired me to speak. I just connected them with them by asking, you know, and I think what, you know, we're, we're talking a little bit about advocate advocating for yourself at work. And the reality is people aren't going to give you or anything or do anything for you if you don't ask for it most of the time. And if you don't advocate for yourself, no one is going to advocate for you. Uh, but it does take, I think, that that confidence and that, that trust to feel like you can do so without that fear of rejection or failure, or that you're going to put yourself in a in a bad position uh, at work. And you know that that's that's just, I think, something you learn by experience. You know, when you ask people, "Hey, I look up to you. Can I have a cup of coffee with you and learn about how you got to where you are in your career?" And people say yes. I'm like, oh, I didn't think that would work, right? Or, "Hey, I would love to partner with you on this thing. I'm a big fan of your work." And I think you'd be great for this campaign I'm working on. And people say yes, and and you didn't think that would work. Those things, when those things start to happen, there's a snowball effect. And typically, as you as you gain trust and as you gain uh, confidence in yourself and in the value you can provide to an organization or to a team or whatever the situation may be, uh, that 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 starts to com- have a compounding effect in the results you're getting as an individual. That's a great transition into one of the other questions that we had was um, how it, it takes courage and confidence to put your personal brand out there and advocate for yourself. Um, and it takes courage to go up to someone that you maybe not look up to, but had never have had a conversation with and, you know, talk to them about how did you get there? Um, tell me more about yourself. I actually recently had this experience. I'm working with a partner who I will not name at the moment, but I'm working on a large contract and I found out that the the person who's the boss of the boss of the boss, she's this powerhouse woman, absolutely amazing woman. And all I've been working with on this, on these projects are men. I've been working with men the entire time. Not one call have I had a woman on the call. And then I find out that the person who's in charge of all these men is a powerhouse woman. So I asked her for drinks. She happens to live in Portsmouth. And I was like, let's do it. (laughs) I have no idea if you're going to say yes or not, but let's try to get drinks. And she was all about it. And it it was amazing to have that connection um, with someone who uh, you can, you know, build confidence, even just talking to them Um, and knowing that they respect you as a person, even being at the lowest part of the totem pole. 
Um, but I'm not going to lie. It took a lot of guts to go out and LinkedIn message this woman and be like, hey, can we can we hang out? <laughs> Do you want to be my friend? <laughs> so I guess... <laughs> so I guess my question for you guys, because I feel, and this kind of also transitions into a conversation about how women tend to um, lack the confidence to go and do have those kind of conversations. Where do you derive your courage from? Like, how do you just go up to someone without having a panic attack? <laughs> asking, it's like asking for a date. <laughs> well, you, t- I, you know, I, well, I'll start by saying this. I do, I do think that the, 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 you know inclination to avoid that, that kind of, of, um, opportunity, whatever the word you might use, it does skew, I think, towards, uh, towards females. And that's not because of a lack of courage. That's because of, of societal structure constructs. You know, like when you're, when you look at how young women are, are taught, they're, you know, they're, they're taught to be, um, you know, um, polite and, and, and to not, you know, go, go for, for more than they, than they deserve. And men are taught to be assertive and to take what they, what they deserve. And there's a, there's a great study and I, and I forget the, um, the source of it, but there's, it, it, it looked at how men and women look at, at job descriptions and opportunities and men would look at the, the JD and say, there's, if there's one element, there's one line item in there that, that they're qualified for, they would extrapolate that to say that they are qualified for the entire job. And women would, would sometimes take the opposite tact and they would look at it. And if there was one line item that they did not have experience in, they would extrapolate that to, to mean that they weren't qualified for the, for the entire job. And of course I'm generalizing here because there are examples on both sides, but I think it, I think, you know, it begs the question, could, could, you know, men learn, I think, more about understanding their own strengths and deficits. And, and I think, you know, could we could we nurture women in the workplace to to feel more confident in um, being able to to have those conversations and take chances and bet on themselves? And, you know, that that's a big question for for probably a, a, a much longer time frame in terms of how we fix that. But it but. I think what you're doing in bringing this up and in, ha- and in doing this type of stuff, and it, it helps to foster an environment where, uh, where more people are going to be confident in doing it. And I think that the woman that you talk, you're talking about that, that you asked for drinks is probably more than willing and happy to, to help someone else who may have, you know, maybe coming up behind her um, and trying to build a career kind of in the same vein that, that she has you'll find that people want to help. They want to be helpful. They want to share their wisdom that they've gained. Um, and again, because you did it this time, you'll be more willing to do it again. So my advice for how to get started on all that is to start small and to make goals that are measurable. I, I, I was talking to a friend recently because we're in a tough job market right now and people are looking for work and it's hard. And my friend was saying, I'm not getting any bites and, it, and you know, I'm down on myself. And it reminded me that you know when I graduated from from Bentley, I applied to more than 200 jobs before I got my first job. And it just, it it took that one job, you know, and then it was like, it doesn't matter that, that, that the other 200 didn't work, you know, and it's not necessarily that it was just then, like even now, if you're looking to go get a new job and you're like, well, I have a great resume, I have a great whatever. Sometimes it's just hard and you got to be patient with yourself. So start small. If there's, if you're, if your goal is to make a mentor or meet you know, 10 people that can help, help you grow in your career, 
then make a list of those people. And maybe you're not comfortable calling them or maybe you're not comfortable going to drinks with them. Then send them a LinkedIn message, send them an email, um, you know, start with, start with something that you're comfortable with and expand from there so that you, you grow over time, that confidence that allows you to take the next step. Yeah, baby steps are definitely the right approach. You're right. It is also a culture, cultural thing. And I think that it's becoming more of a, a fortunately, it's becoming more of a cultural norm and accepting. And people are, are now expecting that kind of outreach. Um, I get a lot of Bentley kids reaching out to me on LinkedIn now, just asking for um, a virtual cup of coffee to just learn a little bit more about my career progression and how I got to where I am. And I'm more than happy to say yes a thousand times over. And I feel like you're right. There's everyone is kind of in that same position. If you're not, you're a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, and if, if, you know, if somebody's a jerk and they're not, or, or they're busy or they're going through something in their life and they can't do it for you, that's fine. Then go to the next person. I mean, you lose nothing. That's the other thing that I think is worth saying when you put yep. your personal brand out there, if it rubs people the wrong way, fine, who cares? It, I mean, as long as what you're doing is in good faith and, and you believe, and you know, it, it's, it's true to who you are, you know, you're not, you're not taking advantage of anybody. You're not, you know, being, um, uh, you know, I think dismissive of, of, of other people's time, you know, you're not expecting more than is reasonable, put yourself out there. And if it doesn't, if, if, if there's somebody who, who, you know, responds poorly, poorly to that, you probably shouldn't be engaging with them anyway. You know, they're probably not the right person to help shepherd your career or work with, you know, in an opportunity or, or whatever, you know, may have you be the, be, be the situation. But, you know, I, I think you only learn that learn that by doing. Yep, totally agree. Because you want to fail forward in that aspect, and just and if and if you fail, look at it as the positive. Like, all right, I did it. I'm going to do it again because someone's going to give you a yes. Someone will give you a yes after well, after it all. Some people just don't. They some people just don't like jive with what you're doing. I mean, yeah, I I, I remember distinctly being on an interview for a job. And there was a guy who was interviewing me and he went on and on. And this is, I had just self-published my first book. I was 24 years old. I probably had no business writing the book. The, who knows how good the book is? That, I mean, you don't need to buy it if you're listening. But I wrote the book, I wrote the book and because it allowed me to meet people and to go through the process of doing that. And I actually got, I ended up getting my next job from a speaking engagement that the book got me in Chicago. Uh, at Forrester Research, and I was uh, I was doing a workshop, and I found somebody uh, in the workshop who hired me. But during the pro- previous process, when I was interviewing, there was a guy who I interviewed with, and he w- spent the whole interview railing on me for writing for self publishing a book that it was a waste of time, and anyone can self publish a book. It does, like why would you do like it's it does not the same as if you got a real publisher, like a real author. Blah 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 blah. Right very easily could have pushed me into the ground. He then actually started making fun of Bentley. He asked me if it was a free online certificate program. Um, I don't know what was going on with this guy that day, but, um, but you know, he could have easily messed me up and been like, okay, you're right. I shouldn't because yeah, you're right. There are real authors that can get publishing deals and I'm not that I don't have anything to say and I shouldn't, you know, contribute to the noise in the world. And I've certainly had those thoughts, but he just didn't jive with what I was doing. And why would I give that guy power over my path, over my journey? There's people who far more than him, there's more people who actually empowered me and gave me advice and 
use that to you know help me grow as not just a writer but as a person and a professional. And those are the people I choose to follow. You know, it's not that you just have to surround yourself with people who are going to lift you up and never give you criticism or never try and check you and make you better. But you know, it's a lot easier to listen to to the naysayers, the people that are not going to you know want to engage with you, and they're not worth your time. You're exactly right, and this is a good uh, lesson for for anybody uh, listening. It's it's when it comes to uh, giving anybody value, and in that particular scenario you just laid out that happened to you, for anybody that has ever been in that scenario or something similar, do not give that person any value. They they give you they give you no value, so do not give them any value or any square footage in your mind. Um, Trug along and just go on, uh, go on to the next one. Move along and move on to the next person because once you start giving those other people that give you a value of a no or try to rip you apart, it's like okay, that's just you. And why should like as you said, why should you give power over that person, power to that person? You know, I, I get I get all of my insight from Will Smith, my idol, and I, and I. Preach. I just follow into the into the darkness. I, I would I would I would you know quote him until the day I die. But so you know, take it with a grain of salt because I only use Will Smith quotes. But you know, I love the movie Pursuit of Happiness when Will Smith talks about if people can't do something themselves, they want to tell you you can't do it. Yep. So you know, in that example that I just shared, I didn't say this because I'm respectful, but it's like, well, if anyone can write a book, then where's your book, man? why didn't you write a book? Because I did it. Might have sucked. Might not be a good book. It's not easy to do that. Really, that's not easy. easy You know, I look at, I mentioned I do comedy. I have a lot of friends who are writers. Something I talk a lot about with my friends who who write in that medium is that when you look at any sort of like iconic television enterprise, right? If it's Modern Family or Seinfeld or Veep or whatever, if you were to read the first draft of the pilot episode of any of those shows, a lot of them are kind of trash, right? right? But like they've got they've got the inkling of the idea or they've got the characters developed or they've got great dialogue or they've got something. And then you can use that to build on it. That's the hallmark of how you grow. You take the chance. You never create the thing. If you never go and ask for drinks or ask for coffee or, you know, ask for the raise or ask for the, for, for more opportunity at work, you will not get it. And it's not because people don't want to help you or give it to you. It's because they're busy thinking about their own stuff. So, you know, that, that's how I think about this, this, this whole mantra of, of whether it's self-actualization or whether it's, you know, um, advocating for yourself. you got to have a healthy do- dose of honesty with yourself. Where are you strong? Where are you weak? But you also have to be willing to, I think, kind of lean into that imposter syndrome because it's there for everybody. So, you know, certainly I feel it every single day. Um, but that doesn't, I don't think that ever goes away, no matter how successful you are. So you might as well try and work against it. Um, there's just so many th- different things that we can talk about with regard to advocating for yourself. But the biggest thing it comes down to is confidence and just doing it. Um, and I think one of the benefits of us being in this COVID ever and everybody being behind a screen is actually the benefit of 
not getting a face-to-face rejection. <laughs> um, I feel like I'm corporate dating on a day-to-day, especially in my role. My role is very much connecting people, building relationships, and lever- leveraging those relationships, whether that's fulfilling a favor or asking for favors or asking for whatever I need um, and doing what I need to make sure in this in the long run I'm getting back what I need. Um And I guess that's what's helped me over time is just doing it over and over again. Sometimes I get pushback. Sometimes I get a negative response. But most of the time, at the end of the day, I get what I need and the other person gets what what they need. So I guess one of the other things that I wanted to bring up and one of the bigger questions we had is advocating for yourself um, and exposing yourself, it's a challenge. Um, confidence is one, one piece of that. I mean, what other things do you think have been personal challenges of yours in overcoming this imposter syndrome and just getting to the next level and continuing to advocate for yourself at your company? Um, and that could be your existing position or maybe a previous position. I don't think you need to always advocate your, for yourself actively so much so or so much as you need to be adaptable. You know, if I had to distill down, you know, what has been the key value driver in my career, which, you know, again, take or leave my career. Well, it's fine. I, I, I think fine it's, for it's almost the end. You know, there's better like, people that you could probably learn from. But from my perspective, the things that, that, that have helped me is that I don't look at change with an immediate a degree of skepticism because change will happen to you in your career. It'll happen in your organizations almost by default. Every single year, the company looks at how they need to change and they make those changes to be better. Uh, there are, you know, mergers and acquisitions that happen. There are layoffs, there are team restructures, there are new products that come into the mix. Always the change is constant. And I've found that I think so many people resist that change because they're fearful of what it might do to their value as opposed to applying their value to that change. And so the one thing that I, that I, I think I've been pretty good at is that I always look at how, will the, how can I be part of this change? How can I be part of the growth and the next phase of this opportunity or of this organization in my, in my career? And so I think for those of you listening who are, um, you know, this is in the context, of course, of advocating for yourself at work, right? Have a plan. Be part of the strategy of where the company's going, where your team is going, and have a plan for what more do you want from it? Like, what do you want from your role or your salary or whatever? What is the value you're providing to that next phase growth? And be confident in that that combination. And that that's how you have, I think, a meaningful conversation about you know, what is the next stage? What does the growth path look for me, look like for me at this, at this, you know, in, in, in this role or in this organization, in this company. But I think it starts with having the attitude that, you know, for you to grow, you have to be part of the change, you know? And, and I, I remembered in a previous company I worked at, a new CEO came in, hired a new team. And it was like, a lot of people got laid off during this transition And a lot of people left on their own because they didn't want to be part of that change. But the most damaging people, I think, were the ones who stayed but were bitter and upset. Because not only did they then, I think, corrupt, you know, the other folks who were trying to be positive, trying to look for opportunity and trying to carve out new paths for themselves in this new, you know, organizational structure. But they also just woke up every day and were upset to come to work because, their mindset wasn't connected to, to the company anymore. 
and into the mission and to, and they weren't seeing the value for themselves, which was fine. So like sometimes you need to separate yourself because the situation is truly untenable for you. You know, it's not just if I get paid more, do I still want to be part of this job? Right. Like, but you have to, you have to look at that piece of it. I think you have to be willing to change, willing to adapt. And then it helps with having those conversations about, you know, how to advance yourself or ask for more or advocate for your value. You know, if you're, if you're a meaningful part of, of where the, the company or the team is heading. Actually, that's a really interesting point because um, you're right. It's not just about advocating yourself. It's also exposing yourself. And I say getting involved. Uh, one thing that, that actually helped me in my last job and what is helping me in this current position is um, getting involved in aspects of the company that have a lot of exposure, but also are part of that change. So right now, for example, you know, with Black Lives Matter and this movement that's be- taking um, place everywhere, we, we've created a internal group for employees and also in the community called Black Hub. It's part of HubSpot. Um, and getting involved in that and um, doing our part in the company has also, that group has created its own exposure within the company. And it's, you know, a 3,500 person company. Um, the people who are involved in this movement internally um, and where all eyes are on it um, are already getting enough exposure and advocacy without it necessarily being about their position. They're, you know, they're coming from product, engineering, marketing. Um, it's not necessarily about that. It's about a bigger change and being part of that movement, which also is giving exposure. Um, and you're you're kind of creating advocacy in a different way, but exposure and advocacy, I think, are go go hand in hand. Yeah, I, I think that, that that carving out what makes what makes you know you want to go to work every day and and do more than what just is being asked you in your job, and that's easier said than done because like we're all stressed, especially right now, right? Like the people who are fortunate to still have work are likely working longer than ever before. So it's easy to say, well, you know, go work more and, you know, take on new stuff at work, whatever. But but what you're saying is find the things where you can provide not just value to the company on the on the top line or or revenue, but where you can provide value to your colleagues. And I think that's a probably a pretty good way to live in general is to try and be helpful. And, you know, that's where I like the stuff about writing and speaking and doing these kind of things, because, you know, like one, one of the things that's always made, made really been really important to me along that vein is being really open about my mental health. And I have had a, several mental health challenges and, and I, I lifelong anxiety that I that I battle. And I've, you know, had periods where I was on medication for that when I was in therapy for that. And I remember like when I started talking about that, um, especially when I was speaking at companies, I've had some companies that would say, well, we don't really want to focus on that. We want to focus on the positive stuff. But to me, I refuse to speak anywhere that wouldn't let me talk about that because that is part of the story. The story is that I go through that and I still do the damn thing. You know, I still write. I still have a great life. I still get up every day and work hard and work through those challenges. Because I think that's something that that tears us all down too. It's like we go to work and we just see that one side of one another, but we don't we don't stop to recognize that we're all people, and some of us are going through things sometimes with families, with health, with you know, with mental health, with with other challenges in our lives. 
And I think that just being helpful to one another and just being a person that people want to talk to, like, I'll give this example. You're at work, especially when we're in the office, you know, you go to talk to somebody at their desk, like, how, how are you doing? How was your weekend? They're like, oh, it's like, okay, great, great, great. Anyway, when are you going to get that report done? I think I need that for tomorrow for the meeting. It's like almost disingenuous. People are so focused on, rightfully so, the work ahead of them that, you know, they don't, they don't engage with each other as human beings. And so, you know, Chris, in your example of, of how can we help improve diversity and celebrate that in our organization, in our industry, that's something that, you know, some companies are doing that just because it's something they're supposed to do right now. But I know a lot of people, a lot of people, and I, I'm sure you're this way, who really want to do it and make a difference and, and be part of that change. And, um, and I think that's the type of stuff that, that makes people excited to go to work. You know, of course, it's good to make a lot of money, but, you know, it's, it's better to work with people you care about and to make meaningful change in the world or even in your small team. And I think that's what, what makes you stay at a job, makes you feel like you're compelled to, 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 to keep doing that year after year. And I'm glad you uh, touched upon, Bill, on the adversity that you had with, uh, and some of the stuff that you still deal with, with, uh, with anxiety. And I'm sure some listeners here have anxiety in some cases may have some severe anxiety. So taking it from you, from your experience and all that you have done, uh, what, what advice would you give to those that have some of those like anxieties and severe anxieties to really take that step forward, um, and get themselves, either out of the funk or just to start uh, getting their mindsets in a more positive thinking way versus a, oh no, I probably will fail at this and I'll probably be awful. And then the. Um, yeah. So the first thing I would say is if you, if you suffer from anxiety or depression or you know bipolar disorder or anything that's that, mental health, think of it like any sort of other physical ailment and get help for it. There's no shame in getting help for it because I'm not a trained medical uh, expert or psychiatrist or, or psychologist or anything like that. I, I just am, am a patient who also has happened to study some of the stuff for my own uh, like uh, edification. So I'll start there. You know, get help. You might need to – like I said, I've been on, on antidepressants before. I've been off of them. I've been in therapy before. I've been out of therapy. I probably should go back to therapy right now, but I – haven't and and you know so I'm, i i, I got to practice what i preach i think everybody needs to be honest with themselves about where they are how they're feeling and, and and what they're going through at all times because it does bleed into your work um you know in terms of what you can do to set your mind up for success a neurologist told me one time your brain craves habit and and i think that that's true the last book that i wrote was about creative um or modern creativity and, you know, I wrote a lot about kind of that, that, that false construct or expectation that people who are ultra creative are also dislodged from reality. Um, it's not true. You know, people who, can, who are ultra creative um, sometimes have other things going on in their mind um, that, 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 that yield that result. But, but most of us are most creative and most fulfilled and most at peace when we're in habits um, that, that transcend just work or the creative element itself. So the example, like, so the last book I wrote was about how do you set up your life and your habits to be more creative and be more peaceful. And the reason I wrote that book is because I felt like every couple of years I would have a sort of spiraling 
down slope in my career, my life. And I would then start writing about that. And the act of writing that, which turned into a book, that's why I have three books, because I had three basically, uh, like breakdowns, and um, that would revive me. And, you know, so my thesis was kind of being creative helped me to, to stabilize myself. And I think that what I learned from that is it wasn't just the creative part of it. It's that when I had those habits, I also was exercising properly. I also was eating better, not drinking as much alcohol. I was also spending time for relaxation. So like if you all are like me, and I'm sure some of your listeners are like this, all day, every day, all I think about is what else I should be doing. And if I'm not working, if I'm relaxing, I'm just thinking about what an idiot I am for not doing more work or not working on a new book or not doing a podcast myself or not doing any of these things. And I found that when I was in a, in a more healthy, habitual way of creating and exercising and eating right and all that kind of stuff, they fed into one another. And that even relaxation became a habit and a more, more um, sustainable one. You know, so, so that's, that's the thing that I, that I think people need to do. And, they, and you start simple. You start with simple, repeatable habits. It's like running a marathon. You wouldn't just run a marathon without training, right? Unless you're, unless you're crazy. And I, I know one guy who did that one time, it took him seven hours. I don't know why he did that, but, um, you know, you start by running a half a mile, but do it repeatedly. Same thing with writing. If you want to write, you write, write, write a paragraph every day. doesn't even need to make sense, but just do it. You know, if you want to start, um, eating healthy, you know, pick one, one meal a day that you're going to eat healthy. And even if you don't, if you eat like crap the rest of the day, you're starting, you're starting on that path. And, and, you know, that has really helped me in the times when I've been in a, in a good rhythm with being creative and and having those other components. That's when my mind has felt most at peace. I would say to add on to that, I've had anxiety my entire life as well. And I used to actually have um, panic disorder. So I'd have these crazy panic attacks at a very young age. Um, And that's when my mom taught me about uh, mental health days. And back then, I mean, this is like early 2000s, that wasn't something you talked about. Mental health health awareness wasn't a thing. And mental health day, that was a made up excuse to take off of school or work. Now I live by it. I mean, and you can take a mental health day now and people are not going to question you. So I think taking mental health days on those days that you're feeling like you're not having that kind of balance that you need, or you're feeling overwhelmed, or you're feeling even a little bit stressed. I think it's okay to step away. And unless you're saving lives, literally saving lives, there's no reason why you can't step away. Um, And I think taking that time for yourself and carving out even just a day here and there is so important to mental health and making sure that you're continuing to progress because otherwise it will stunt you otherwise. It's a great point. And and I have to say one thing that I think could come from the craziness of this year is a rise in the level of empathy we have for one another. And, And that would be tremendously valuable both from the political sphere and social media and and the way that we look at each other and the differences that we have. But I think it would also be good for for us in our interpersonal relationships. And I'm starting to see it happen because guess what? Asking how someone is, is not just a rhetorical question anymore. We, we like when you ask somebody how they're doing normally, they just say good. Oh, can't complain. I'm doing fine. But now it's a perfectly acceptable answer for people to say, 
Um, I'm not doing good. <laughs> good stuff. World's on fire. You know, I lost my job. Um, you know, I, we're in a pandemic. I mean, a lot of we're going back into lockdown. Everyone is going through a shared ex- human experience that is that is testing us on every single capacity. And I see it on LinkedIn too. If you got laid off prior to COVID, I don't know that everyone would be comfortable posting a status on LinkedIn saying, hey, everyone, I was laid off from my company. You might be thinking I'm not valuable or worth the job, you know, but it, but I just got laid off. And so I'm looking for something else. And it's because so many people are going through this horrible, tragic shared experience that it's removed the, the facade or like the taboo around it. We all know that people get laid off because, you know, the company shifts. It's not not a reflection on who they are as a person or the the value they have. I've been laid off before. And because all of us are going through that period, you're seeing so many more people posting about it. I was part of the, you know, the the, the layoffs at, at, you know, XYZ company. I'm looking for new opportunities. If you think of something or if you know anyone, blah, 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 you know, reach out to me. And people supporting one another, people setting up lists of you know, ex-employees of, of various companies to try and help them gain opportunities. That just wouldn't have happened pre-COVID. Um, and, and, it, and it could have always happened because it's the same thing. You know, people should look out for one another, should be okay with expressing that they're feeling down or, or going through something right now and that they're not their best selves. And it shouldn't mean that they're not worthy of additional opportunity or that they will always be that way. Just because you're having an anxiety, you know, um, break or, or panic attack or, or, or disorder doesn't mean that you always do that. doesn't mean that you can't be trusted to have a job or have a leadership position or anything like that. Right. And I think that awareness is happening at a large scale right now because of the shared experience that humanity is going through. And that could be a long tail opportunity for us to get better to each other as people. Um, so I'm going to jump in here. I, I agree. And I also feel bad. Like I have, I can't even tell you how many resumes a week of people sending me, you know, 20, 20 to 30 resumes a month, I would say is what I'm looking at at this rate. And I have no problem. Like I prioritize that over even my day job because I, I have empathy for those people. And, you know, I, I am fortunate to be in a position where I, I haven't been laid off and I'm in a pretty set part of my career but I understand that that's not the case for a lot of people right now. And I want to do what I can to help them first and foremost. Um, and I, my job's going to be there tomorrow, which is great, but that doesn't mean it's going to be the case for everyone else. So um, I guess this is just advice for people who are looking for jobs. Don't be afraid to ask because people do have empathy. I have empathy and I don't mind dropping a couple of hours a day to help people who are trying to figure out the next step in their career or figure out what to do now that they don't have a job or looking for a new job. You know, and, and, and the other thing, too, is I think when you go through periods of upheaval where you get pulled out, some, sometimes I got laid off when I was like uh, just after I wrote my first book, actually, twenty. I was 24. And it probably I wouldn't have changed my job otherwise. I don't think I would have actively sought out something different or, or the next opportunities because I was comfortable. And, you know, it's easy to sit here and be like, you know, don't, don't be comfortable. Go get something else. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is when something like that happens to you. Um, you know, you can choose how to react to it. That's all you can is really within your control. It's the same thing with what change happens at work and you're still there. And, you know, something that I would, I would suggest that people do is, you know, if, if 
they're going through that radical change, whether it's with a job or whether they've, you know, had a health scare with COVID or anything else that's going on in the world right now, um, you know, find ways to invest in yourself. And it doesn't mean that you have to spend money, but, you know, like plant a garden, start painting, do something that's create active creative expression that helps you think differently. It helps awaken a part of your mind that maybe you don't get to use every day at work or because you've been working 12 hours a day for the last five years and you haven't had a chance to look up and look around you and experience, uh, you know, something else and, and test a different part of your, of your psyche. You know, that's something that I, that I feel really strongly, not just when people are going through change, but when they're, when they're trying to reorient themselves to a new opportunity or when they're trying to stay positive about something, it's really important to invest time and energy into yourself during that time, probably more than any time, you know, any other time. I agree. I t- totally agree. And, and, uh, from to encapsulate it all, you know, Bill, just, uh, for your recommendation to everybody in, a couple cents or less on everything that you said. What is your what is your concise recommendation to everybody to execute their personal brand and to advocate themselves? Well, you know, when you think about building your personal brand, I think one very simple mechanism to do so is to is to think about what other people tell you you're good at, and it's not what you agree with them or excuse me, what you want to be good at necessarily, but start by thinking about what do other people say you're good at? You know, for, for me, someone said to me the other day, you know, you're really good at uh, just bringing like different people of different energies who might be not on the same page, bringing them together and like helping us work through something. Like that's not really a tangible value I would, I would be able to maybe put on a resume, but that I really took that as a compliment because I was like, that, okay, that's a valuable skill in some ways. And how can I use that leverage that to, to create opportunities and work and, um, you know, to, to bring people together, bring interesting people together and let them work on and, and find opportunity. That's, that's something I like to do. And that's something someone told me I was good at that, that helped me realize that start there and then layer on top of that. What is it that you love doing and want to do? You know, in the example of those of us who create things for the hell of it, when no one's asking us to, like, like when I write books, nobody asked me to write books. I wrote them on my own. The question I asked myself is, what would you do? And same thing with comedy. I paid to do comedy. No one paid me to do comedy. I lost money on the endeavor. But you choose to do it because it's just kind of calling and gnawing at you. It's something that, that that's inherent to who you are and you have to do it. What is that thing for each of you? What is that thing that you would do even if no one paid it, paid you for it, that you would wake up early for, that you would stay up late for? Layering those things together and finding that that overlap and whether that means that you're, you know, you, you, you find a way to start in your own company or whether it's a role that fits that profile, um, that's what you want to be known at, known for within your organization. That's, I think, the best way to, to get to that answer is to take take that approach. Um, Bill Chapman, what do you think your personal brand is? Oh, good question. <laughs> what do people 
tell you that you're good at. Um, this is a fun exercise, and this is something that I've been thinking about the entire time Bill's been talking. Is you know the, the exact point to, that you made. What do people tell you that you're good at, and what do you actually like to do? Um, and how does that define your personal brand? Like, what is your personal brand? And I've been asking myself this ever since we came up with the topic for this for this podcast. I'm curious um, if that's something that you've thought about, um, Bill Chapman. <laughs> you know. The first thing that came to my mind when you when you asked me that was just how how genuine and good that I am with people, with anybody, with any with anybody, in, in building relationships with people. I think that's one of my biggest strengths because I I think this is a strength and also a fault of mine uh, that I've realized over the last decade that I like to make people happy, and but you can't make everybody happy. That's, that's the true sense of it. So I like to help people sometimes and get them to feel good about themselves, to give them encouragement. And I try to channel that through Toastmasters as Kristen and I have done, you know, so many times. And I like to be able to influence and to, uh, uh, to inspire uh, so I consider my personal brand is someone who really enjoys working with people and building relationships with people and trying to bring out the best of them and to, to, to make people happy. You know, this is a good exercise too. I think everyone should do because it's important to, to like, this is cheesy and everyone says it all the time, but like, it is important to celebrate what makes you good and what is separates yeah. you and is unique about the value you bring because every single person has it. And that's, that's what I've learned over interviewing hundreds of people for various projects that people don't realize um, the value they can create for others just by virtue of the fact that every one of us has had a unique, completely unique experience on this earth and a completely unique set of um, perspectives and experiences that we can offer to one another and so I think it's a good exercise and it's important that, that since you know that about yourself, Bill, that you can bring that into everything that you do. Um, you know, and I would concur. I think you're a really genuinely good dude and you, and you bring, and I think that's why people would want to talk to you on this kind of thing. You know, you both have such a positive and interesting energy about you that, you know, you'll find that people will want to do this podcast. People will want to listen to you because we need that right now. So, you know, if, if that's, if that's all, somebody brings is that they're positive and they, and they make people feel good. And I mean, what more could you ask for? You know, if you know that about yourself, you don't need to strive for more than that. That'll happen organically. I actually think this is a great exercise to do with trusted friends. And that's also another reason why I brought it up to you, Bill, because I think it's a good exercise that we could do with each other. Um, Cause we know each other and we've known each other for years. So we know what, what we see in each other, but also it's good to know, layer on top of what you, what you see in yourself. Um, it's funny because my career started out in marketing and, um, I was just all about, I loved being creative. I used to create ads for fun when I was a kid. And I, it was just one of my, one of the things that I liked. Um, but then my mom was always like, you, you're a closer, you like deals, you're competitive. You're really good at that. And in my head, I was like, I'm never going to do sales. I hate doing deals, blah, blah, blah. And then I, there was a forcing function that pushed me into that 
category of business development in more recent years. Now I realize I can combine the two. I can combine my creativity and problem solving and what I like about that, but also what I'm good at is closing deals and making these things happen. Um, And I found a good, uh, in my current position, I'm so happy with what I'm doing right now because I found a way, a hybrid of those two worlds of what I like and what I've been told I'm good at. Um, sometimes it doesn't always align that what you're told you're good at is what you like, but you can find ways of making it work for you. Um, so I think that's why it's good to do this with someone you trust. Yeah. And you bring up a really good point too, that, that I would emphasize, which is patience is, is truly a virtue with all of this stuff. Patience is, is the key to, I think, building a successful career. And I think it's also key to realizing your true unique value to building a personal brand. You know, I struggle with wanting, you know, I look at, at people who have, who are, who are achieving the things that I want to achieve in comedy or in writing or in business. And I'm not there yet. And I, and it makes me, it gives me anxiety that I'm not there. It accentuates my anxiety. But when you really stop and look at the way that, 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 that these things often happen, the people that you admire, they're not 22 years old. Most of them, sorry to the 22 year old billionaire tech founders that exist. You know, those are more rare than the alternative, right? They're not 32. They're not, maybe not 42. It takes a, you know, something I wrote about, it takes a full lifetime for you to achieve all the things you're going to achieve in your life. So to try and, you know, ham fist all of that stuff into the early part of your career when you don't know who the hell you are or what you're doing or where you want to be uh, is doing yourself a disservice. And so, you know, I think there are times when you need to just put your foot on the brake a little bit, have some patience, take all you can from an experience that you're being given and trust that you'll know when the right opportunity for the next level comes, that it may not be right away uh, and, and that that's okay. Yeah, absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. I think that was a really great way to wrap this conversation up. I, I, it's a good way to summarize. And I, I think the, the takeaway from this call, from this um, conversation is go find a friend and do this exercise for yourself and have the courage to go out and advocate or um, be who you are and have empathy and expect others to have empathy as well. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you guys for, for, you know, for, for having me and for, for listening to, to my ramblings on this stuff. You know, if nothing else, you know, I, I think that, um, it's, it's just important to be, go easy on yourself. <laughs> Give yourself, just be okay. Like be, be, um, be comfortable that, that you're always improving. You're always a work in progress. You're going to be up sometimes. You're going to be down sometimes. Um, and, and if you give yourself that leeway and you don't judge yourself, you know, I think a lot of doors open, um, you know, over the course of your career. And, and that's probably the best way to build a brand. Yep. And enjoy the ride. It's okay to not be okay. Yes. It's okay to not be okay and enjoy the ride. Amen. <laughs> I love our mantras. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> we got a thousand of them. We're going to keep them going. <laughs> Well, Bill, thank you so much for being on the, another episode with us. We really do appreciate it. this was this was a great conversation. This was awesome, and I'm I'm looking forward to having you on here. For, Chris and I are are looking forward to having you on here for many, many more. Really, a- anytime you guys want to chat about any nonsense that I that I lay up at night thinking about, I'm happy to I'm happy to be part of it. I appreciate you 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 thinking of me and having me on. 
<laughs> Thanks, Bill, times yes. two. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, we can't wait for you to get back over to the East Coast. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited for that, too. Maybe someday soon we'll do this in person. Yeah. Yes, yes. please. <laughs> this is all over with. We will do this in person. All right, well, that is it for this episode of the No Bullshit Guide to whatever on our series for career development. I'm Bill Chapman. And I'm Krista Luciano. And we'll see you all next week when we talk about growth in the workplace.